You're listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast, where you'll learn step-by-step how to meet and seduce beautiful women, whether you're looking for one night of fun, a week-long fling, or a long-term relationship. I'm your host, Trip, and the episode starts now. Hey, it's Trip, and welcome to the How to Talk to Girls podcast. On this episode, we do an interview. That's right. We're talking with Kristen Summers, who is a a good friend of mine and also a very, very smart financial advisor. So you might be wondering, why am I doing this? Why am I doing an entire episode on tips for financial planning and for budgeting and for money and things like that? Well, something I talk about that's really important is outer qualities and optimizing them for attraction. So one of the outer qualities is money, finances, and your career. And of course, money is very important because you want money to have a nice place that you like to live in. You want money to buy the things that you want. And you want money to build a life for yourself. And one day you might have children, so you're going to want money for that. And there are plenty of reasons why you want money and you want to optimize your money. Plus, you're going to be going out right now and spending money on dates and you're going to be doing fun things with the girl that you might be dating. And of course, that takes money. So why not work on optimizing that? It is good to have the finances to be able to do the things you want and live the life that you want to live. That is why I have Kristen Summers here to help. So we talk about budgeting. We talk about places to find hidden money. And we also talk about what to do if you're in a little bit of debt and what debt is good, what debt is bad, and diving into that as well. So you're going to get a lot of good tips here and things that you can use to start instantly making more money. I know that sounds too good to be true, but it is very true. And some things that she's saying, I I knew and I use and I can vouch for and some things I never heard of and I might even start using now. So you're going to hear all of that good stuff. And you're going to be hearing it from the source, someone who actually does this for a living and talks about finance all day long with her clients and people that she teaches and things like that. And I've heard her speak on this many times. And like I said, I would have no one else come on here and speak to this. So you're going to get a lot of great information here. And don't forget, if you're interested in working on the part of your life that is more of the inner qualities, right? So we just talked about outer qualities, which is like your money and your lifestyle and and things like that. But if you want to work on the inner qualities and and the way that you behave and your personality, right? Those intangibles that are also attractive to women, you can do that with me working one-on-one doing coaching. So if you go to coachedbytrip.com, you'll find an application that you can fill out. And if you fill it out in great detail, I will contact you back personally by email or by text. And you and I can hop on a free call and figure out if coaching is a good fit for you. So if you're still wondering, how do I be more charismatic? How do I be more confident? How do I talk to women to get them interested in me? How do I make my online dating work for me and actually get matches? All those questions are answered and personally answered in terms of you and your lifestyle. So it's all custom. So let me help you. Think about one-on-one coaching and what it could do for you. Just go to coachedbytrip.com. So check that out there. And in the meantime, you're going to want to take some notes on this episode. There are some times when she might be using some jargon that you might not have heard of. It depends how much you know in terms of 
finances, financial planning, things like that. But I think that you're going to get it. Otherwise, I, you know, I really recommend that anything you don't understand, just write it down and you can look it up online and, 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 you know, learn more about it and things like that. Either way, I think she breaks it down really well. And you're going to want to take notes anyways, because she's going to be giving you tips and things that you can use right away. Okay. Without further delay, here's my interview with Kristen Summers. Hey, Kristen, how you doing? Hey, Trip, I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's good to have you on the podcast. I have, I, I don't, yeah, you know, I've never interviewed anyone or talked to anyone who's a financial planner. I know maybe a few episodes. I've done this is like 386. I wow. think maybe a couple of them I've talked about money, but not much. And you and I were friends outside of this, and and we were talking and chatting, and and I was like, well, why, why? Why don't I have her on the podcast so she can teach us about financial planning and and you know help out the guys and here we are so I'm so happy to have you here and talk about this yeah happy to be here thanks for the invite hopefully I can uh, bestow some pearls of wisdom on your awesome audience I think you will be able to and you <laughs> this is I mean this is not like you do this and then now you're just happening to teach it like you already teach this right like you you talk about this. In general, not just in what you do, but you said you teach, right? Yeah. I mean, in so many ways, if I could, I would rebrand my title on my business card as a financial educator because I feel like I'm teaching and and giving tips more than actually doing planning most of the time. So that as well as I host a webinar series every other week, just giving little bits of education around oh my gosh, everything, budgeting, debt management, investing, everything and anything. And then, yeah, I have been a professor on a, a different topic, more music business than, than business, business and finance for the last five years. So education is a big passion of mine, definitely. Cool. Yeah. No, and, I, and I've seen you explain things before and you have a great way of, of explaining things. So I feel like you're going to be able to you know, teach us some really good stuff here and so we can understand it and and not talking and a lot of jargon that can be hard for people to understand. So I, I feel like it's gonna it's gonna be really good. Here's my first question for you. I just came off the top of my head. When you're working with men and women, what are guys' biggest questions to you? And what are girls or women's biggest questions to you? I mean, maybe there's not a difference, but I'm curious if if guys are asking one thing and, and and women are asking another. Do you see a difference there? Yeah, I do. It's it's especially interesting working with couples. I mean, this is using a broad stroke of the paintbrush, but I, I do definitely see a little bit of a different approach to understanding finances amongst men and women, I find that men are very interested typically in the investment portion. How much can my money grow? What's the most aggressive stock that I can invest in? How can I just be rich fast? And in those conversations, it's it's just a it's just a different mindset, a different approach to to those long-term decisions. Whereas I find women, and I think this is much, much like uh you know, life and conversation being woman myself, women are looking for the, you know, how do I, how do I protect myself? How do I make sure my money is going to be okay? How do I make sure I have enough for my family? How do I make decisions today that will impact me in the future? Less about the quick hit, much more about what's the overall 
the comprehensive approach that I can take to protect everything that I've already built. So it's, yeah, it's different. It's really paying attention to your audience. And I think there are just just gender differences in in the conversation. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. It, it makes sense. I mean, just thinking about human nature, female nature, male nature, like, you know, it just, that makes sense to me. Just feeling like, okay, women are there to kind of like, you know, keep it, protect it, you know, and then guys out there with all their heavy testosterone, like, no, more, we want more and we will kill, we will risk, we will risk all the money to make the more money. Yeah. 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 And both are fine. It's just a different, different approach, different mindset and and it's fine. <laughs> I think I, I, I'm going to believe that you should have both. Like, I feel like whatever, you know, man or woman or whatever, you know, you should be learning both like okay what can i do to to invest and make more money but also how do i protect and, and or save and and work on the things that i need to have i mean what do you think about that yeah i think do you think it's a balance i do i do because i i really appreciate a client who is curious and so they have questions about well, what am i already doing i would like some education over the decisions that i've made as well as what can i be doing better so how can I pay attention to what I'm doing? I want to be tactical and I want to be involved, but also thinking about what are some of the decisions I'm making now that will impact me in the future. So I agree. I think it's a combination of both. Cool, cool. So and I feel like what we'll be talking about today will hit both in a way. You know, we're going to talk about some budgeting stuff, which can help right now and also long term. That's why you budget, so you can maybe save more and have more. And then you said something to me before we started this call about finding places where there's hidden money, so to speak, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. So yeah, I guess let's let's start with let's start with some of the budgeting stuff, right? And it's funny because I'm at the creation of this episode, I'm 35 years old, and I did not learn how to budget until I was uh, maybe 32. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing, but hey, that's just the reality. And then it got me thinking. I bet you there's a lot of guys out there who are probably even older than me who also have not tapped into this or maybe don't even plan to do it at all. And once I started doing it, it completely changed my game in terms of, of money and, and finances and, and everything. And I think that it would, it would have been amazing if I knew this when I was much younger. So I think budgeting is important. Why do you think budgeting is important? I'm very much... <laughs> A proponent of having kind of an endpoint in mind. So this is a very timely, a very recent analogy that I've created. In that, I'll bring it back to budgeting. But think about it this way: Why do we go to the grocery store? Okay, that sounds easy enough. We want to buy food, right? But everybody goes to the grocery store, and their basket looks totally different, right? Some people are really health conscious, so maybe they're buying whatever, chicken breast and broccoli. And maybe some people are just like, I want something quick and easy. I'm buying frozen dinners. Some people just don't care. They just want really tasty, yummy food. So they're eating Twinkies and Hot Pockets. No, no judgment on any of those. But the idea is the goal in mind is eating healthy or eating really tasty food or convenience. There's something that is driving the decisions made. And I bring that up as a comparison to budgeting. The idea being, 
let's say we have a big goal and and the one that I work with my clients the most on is retirement because that gives me a long path to sort of track their decisions against. So what does retirement look like? Well, I don't know. Do you want to live on a Mediterranean cruise? Do you want to just retire in the country with your eggplant garden and have that be? I don't know. It depends on what your goal is. So by being able to work backward from that ultimate goal, like let's just say, for example, we decide we go over our expenditures, the type of lifestyle we want to have in retirement, et cetera, and we land on, okay, we need, say, this is going to sound like a big number, we need $2 million in retirement. We're 35, we're 32, we're however old, and we want to retire at, say, 65 how much money do we need to make? How much do we need to invest? And how much do we need to save in that 30-ish year time span to get to that goal? The reason that's really helpful is, especially if you're investment heavy, it really sort of evens the ups and downs of the market. So uh, recently at the time of this recording, the market is very low. We just experienced a crash and people are scared. They don't know what to do. And they have so many questions. Why? Because there was no end goal in mind. So let's say we lose a ton of money. Call it, it's relative. We'll say we lose $20,000. Is that a lot? Is that a little bit? It really depends on how you have planned, how you've budgeted, and what that goal is. If it doesn't really make a chip in getting to that end goal of your plan, then you don't have to worry. If $20,000 is a huge chunk and completely changes what you're able to do, let's say you planned on retiring the next month, maybe that's a bigger hit and makes it a little bit more difficult to swallow. So it's really understanding what that final position looks like that you're aiming for so you can back it up to today and figure out like you're asking how to budget appropriately. And then why do you think it's important to have some of those goals and because I guess that's what you're saying is that's what part of budgeting is, is you budget so you can achieve your financial goals in terms of what you're looking for. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, why even bother having those? Why not just wing it? <laughs> uh, I'm the master of winging it. Um, it will be written on my tombstone, but I don't recommend <laughs> that for finances. Uh, why? Because, well, I think for your emotional sanity... Again, the idea of, oh my gosh, I just lost $20,000. Well, does it really matter in the end? Uh, No, my chance of retiring with, say again, $2 million has gone down maybe 1%. Or I wanted to buy a car next month. Oh my gosh, my $20,000 that I had saved up for that car is now gone. I can't afford it anymore. So it, it really puts in a perspective what you're doing and maybe what you need to be doing as far as your income, how you're spending, maybe some of the lifestyle choices you're making. And I think that all really relates to having that plan and having a budget just to make sure that you are paying attention to what you're doing, the money coming in versus the money coming out and how to to really just provide that peace of mind for yourself. Yeah. No, I like that. I mean, that's true. And I bet you every... I mean, there are some people out there who don't budget and they're consistently stressed out about it. And, and, I, and I get it. You know, people think, oh, budgeting. And, and they think like, oh man, it's, it's really stressful. And they think like it's going to be so stressful after maybe they create the budget to then 
to then make the budget. And then it's like, oh, it's like, what if you go over and what if something happens? And even even though, yes, there maybe there'll be a little bit of stress or some work involved in maintaining the budget once you create it. Overall, what you're saying is it's going to be so much less stressful in the long run and and you'll be happier in the long run even when you start doing it. Definitely. And I think that comes down to making real actionable choices. So rather than saying, oh yeah, I'm going to save I'm going to save $1000 this month. Okay. Why? What is that related to? Do you make $1000 a month? Is that reasonable? I think it really takes that that discovery of how much you're spending versus how much you make and then finding the appropriate budgets. Well, again, why are we saving $1000? Is it because we want to buy a car? Is it because we're not paying our rent on time and our rent is $1,000. What is it? How important is that thousand? And how did we land on that number? I I so you think it should, it should always be attached to a goal? Is that what you're saying? I do. And I actually sit down and I have a really awesome little, I don't know what to call it, maybe a flow chart um, that I created based on how much you make how much you should be putting into goals, how much you should be putting into lifestyle expenses, and then how much you can have for fun money too. So it's, yeah, goal, goals all around is really uh, my mantra. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. All right. So let's talk about some of your best budgeting tips. Sure. Just, yeah, go into it. What do you, what do you think? So I can break it down really. I mean, if you all are ready with a pen and paper, um, this is the point to take notes, I think. So the way I like to suggest people break down their initial budgets is starting with your income. It's usually pretty easy to answer how much do you make, right? People kind of know that answer. So let's start with a nice round number, $50,000. Let's say we make $50,000 in the year. That is what's coming to you before you pay taxes, before you say, put money away into your 401k or whatever, your health insurance, those things that come out of your paycheck from your employer. So that's called your gross income, that 50,000. Once those taxes, retirement accounts and insurance and whatever it is you have automatically taken out of your paycheck comes out, that leaves you with your net income. So then from that net income, that's the amount that hits your bank account after you get paid, you're able to sort of break off those buckets, those buckets of of goals, necessary expenses, and that fun money that I mentioned. So click your pens. Here we go. Uh, My first recommendation is, of course, we need to figure out what our essential expenses are. So those are things like rent, utilities, food, maybe beer. I don't know what's important to you. That's for you to decide. But those things you must pay for every single month. And that amount of that net income, that dollar amount that hit your paycheck after you get paid, I recommend is a maximum of 50% of that net income. So I'll bring it around to some real numbers. We started with $50,000 a year. After taxes, et cetera, let's say we have maybe $35,000. So half of that $35,000 for the entire year can go up to your expenses. So that's a great way to figure out what your rent might be appropriately. So let's break that down even further. Of that 50% of your net income, 
I usually recommend with my clients that their rent or their mortgage, whatever that big living expense is, is no more than a quarter or at max a third of their overall income. So just a reminder, we started with that $50,000. That quarter of your income would be $12,500. So someone making about $50,000 should probably look at spending maybe a thousand or a little bit over a thousand a month on their mortgage or their rent. Does that make sense for the first piece? Sounds good to me. I'm following. Good. All right. So that's, of course, the most expensive. Got to pay our bills. Have to be able to keep the lights on. Then the next piece is the goals, of course. So we want to maybe pay off debt or build an emergency fund or buy a house in five years. So that piece of your net come, I usually recommend is at least 20%. So 50 was the gross, 35,000 was your net. We're breaking it down. We had up to 50% going to those bills. We can save 20% or even more towards those goals. And then the last piece is the fun money, what I call fun money, your lifestyle expenses. So this is going out to eat, going to the bars on the weekend, going on dates, and whatever it is that you... That Ubers, oh my gosh, they're so expensive. Hope we can say a brand name. That I recommend is the last little bit, which is 30% of your net income. And I know this is a lot of numbers. Trip, if you're interested, I have a great actual like PDF I can send you that details all these numbers out. Or they're always able to email me and I'm happy to send it out too, whatever's easy. You might get a lot of emails. Okay. (laughs) If you can can handle that though. Shish, why not? Bring it on. I'm ready for the flood. All right. What's your email? Okay. It's uh, Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N dot Summers, S-U-M-M-E-R-S at A-M-P-F dot com. That's Apple... Murphy portfolio <laughs> feet. You got this. <laughs> I'm sure those are exactly what the right um, words are for those letters. <laughs> AMPF.com. Anyway, the point being, we've broken down our budget into three main components, essential expenditures, goals, and lifestyle expenses, which is probably the opposite of what most people do already, including me before I started in this role. I took the money that came into my bank account. I would spend, spend, spend. And then kind of whatever was left over, I put toward my goals or my savings. This takes it in an opposite approach. You pay yourself first. You pay your goals, pay your bills. And then the leftover is what you have for fun money. So it forces you to save. It forces you to really do better for yourself. Cool. Yeah. I like that. That seems that seems pretty simple. Yeah. It's it's just a little bit of a mental shift from what we're, you know, unfortunately not taught in school and have to figure out on our own. But yeah, once it's up and running, my gosh, you'll just see your investments grow. You'll be able to get to those goals. You'll be able to buy a house faster. It just really benefits. Keeps you out of debt. Keeps you out of debt. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. All of it. Yeah. I always think there's pretty much two reasons why people go into debt. It feels like one, they're not budgeting. So they don't really know what's going where and and how it's all working. So they're left with the balance at the end of the month. Or two, they they are budgeting and they're choosing to use a credit card. 
But yeah. you know that that first one is is dangerous. You know, is if you don't know what's happening and you have a you know your credit card debt would just keep going up and it could turn into a disaster potentially. Yeah, it's snowball credit cards. Oh my gosh, they snowball so fast and they get out of control. And then at some point, people just say, "I don't know how to take care of this," and throw their hands up and just let it run wild. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's what tough. Do you, what are your tips for that? For do you think someone should have a credit card? Do you think it's a good idea? If so, how do they use it? What are some of your thoughts on credit cards? I think credit cards are good if you can responsibly manage them. So, for example, some cards offer, you know, cash back or travel rewards or Uber credits or you know whatever. And so, there is an awesome advantage in having them for those benefits, which can save you money in the long run. However, if you Again, it's just going back to knowing what what's coming in versus going out and having those goals and a plan really in mind. If you are able to manage those benefits responsibly, and like you said, trip not not going over, not just oh, I have a credit card, so I can you know buy whatever, I can pay for whatever, I can afford everything. If you are very diligent about what you're spending and what you can afford, I think they can be great. But yes, it is very easy to to fall into that trap of credit card debt and it's so hard to catch back up. Yeah, it is. I think, you know, I, I think, yeah, credit cards, I agree. Really good for, you know, if you can do it responsibly, you can get a lot of rewards, right? A lot of benefits. Like again, this is this is not a sponsor, but <laughs> I do I have that chase card and you get like three times the points. I mean, you get a lot of money towards flights, which is awesome. Yeah. But of course, what what does that matter if you're just going into debt and then if you're going into debt not paying your bill in full, now you're just paying all those interest fees and it's it, it at that point you're just breaking even so that, you know, $500, you know, uh, plane ticket that you get what does it matter if you're paying all this money every month in, in fees and you might as well just not have used the credit card in the first place, right? Yeah. So in that case, it can be really bad. I think it's okay. This is just, I'm just thinking this off the top of my head. Like it's okay to use a credit card and go into a debt that you might not be able to pay off in like a month is when you're investing in something and you have a plan of and then you have like a plan of getting that money back. Like what do you think about that? Like using a credit card. Like so it's not just like, oh, I want to go party in Vegas and you spend five grand. Like that's not a great idea, <laughs> right? To just blow that money and 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 now you're in, in tons of debt and it's very stressful. Right. But if you want to buy some well something that you need, right? An emergency might happen and you don't have an emergency fund, you know, maybe buying something that needs to be replaced immediately. But then also that should come with some sort of plan, you know, being able to pay that back. So what do you think about Think about it in those terms. Any, th- any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, I have a client currently who had exactly that. Uh, Vegas was not the emergency. It was family. And she ended up okay. putting a few thousand on her credit card. And luckily, she has a really healthy income, but no savings. So we just had to really take a look. I mean, we spent probably 12 pages of paperwork figuring out exactly what she's spending and where we could cut corners. So she's able to throw a few thousand at that credit card debt quickly and get it paid off as soon as possible. Yeah, so she's not incurring that like exactly what you just mentioned that that interest. Which someone who was it? Someone called it idiot tax to me, which I thought was pretty hilarious. Um, oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I agree. Having a plan, just being responsible, being careful. 
Something, I'll just throw this in as a actionable tip. Maybe it helps somebody out who's listening. If you are listening to this and feel like I'm in that state, I'm in that snowball, I'm climbing that mountain of credit card debt and I don't know what to do, there are options out there available if you're just way over your head. Like for example, you can call your credit card company and just say, you know what? I mean, I would not use this as plan A, but if it just gets to that point, you can call your company and say, you know, I know I can't pay this and I'm just not going to be able to. How how can we mutually benefit each other? And just have a conversation honestly with your credit card company. A lot of times they'll bring down your interest rate or they'll work with you to get that either paid off or they'll reduce what you owe. There's so many great options out there that people just aren't aware of to to chip away at that mountain. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right, we can we can go far down this road, oh, but yes. I want to bring it back up because there's so I mean, there's so much like we talked about in terms of debt. But let's bring it back. So we talked about budgeting. You gave some some really good ideas there. And then you said guys can email you with that flow chart that you had. Sure. Yeah. Happy to okay. happy to send that out. Cool. Awesome. And and then let's talk about where people can find some of this hidden money or where they can find more money that they can have that they can use. You know, maybe it's for debt, maybe it's for saving, whatever it may be. What's this all about? Yeah. So a hidden paycheck. That's something I love to work with my clients with. That's kind of day one conversation. We just are able to make really, really small changes. I mean, things that you can do in the 10 minutes after you stop listening to this great podcast to really change your standings today. And the big one that I love and I tell everybody to do is take your savings that you have at any of the big box banks, Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, wherever it is you have your checking and savings accounts, and move those over to what's called a high-yield savings account. It is a another type of savings vehicle. However, unlike what you probably have already where you're seeing a couple pennies come back to your account in interest every month from your bank, a high-yield savings account will over time give you dollars. So instead of say, for example, the 0.2% interest you get from your traditional savings account, these high-yield savings accounts will offer something more like 1% or even 1.5% Maybe six months ago, they were up to 2.2%. So it's, it's really nothing, nothing more difficult than switching to a different type of account. It's really that simple. And there are tons of banks that have them. I know... Well, how do you find one? Because there's going to be, because, you know, this, someone might listen to this years later and it could be changed. Yes. So, what do you think is like a good way for someone to find a high, a good high yield savings account or, or how do they know what to look for in terms of one that's going to be good? Yeah. So, you definitely want to go with, that's a great question, actually. You want to go with a bank that is big and old and strong. I make no money from this recommendation, but it's not my firm. I actually recommend that people open, a high-yield savings account with Goldman Sachs, which is a different firm. And they have a a high-yield savings account called Marcus, like the man's name, M-A-R-C-U-S. The reason I recommend that is for exactly what I said. They're old, they're big, they're strong, they're not going anywhere. A lot of 
firms recently, banks recently with the recent economic downturn are actually getting rid of their high yield savings accounts. They don't necessarily tell their customers. They just see a much slower interest rate coming back to their account. So find a find a firm or a bank that you really trust. Do your research. The biggest thing you want to look for is a bank that has FDIC insurance. That is the key. Are there any that don't? Probably. I couldn't name any, but I wouldn't use them. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure okay. I'll imagine like if, if you yeah, that'd be that'd be crazy they don't have that. Okay, so someone like uh Marcus, they put their money in there. What is it seems like too good to be true, you know. So I'm playing yeah. devil's, devil's advocate here. What is the downside of doing that? Like what, you know, like it sounds like this is why doesn't everyone know about this? Like what you can get all, you know, all this huge interest. What's what's the downside of using them? Or yeah. using a high yield interest uh, bank? Because there's always a catch, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. Uh, no, of course. No, not. I, I agree with you. I, I'm with you. There is a catch. It's a small one, but the catch is in comparison to say you have your checking and savings at, I'm just using a random firm, Chase, you're able to transfer that money from your savings to your checking instantly. With these high yield savings accounts, it's more likely to take a day or two. You're not necessarily going to be able to go to your ATM and pull money out. You will have to transfer it online and it, it just might take a little bit longer. That's the catch. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then diving just a little bit deeper into this for anyone who's, who's nerding out on this. But so I'm looking at Marcus, <laughs> they're, they're at 1.55%. Yes, and good job. I'm I'm at uh, I'm at I'm at Wealthfront. Do you know Wealthfront? Yeah, it's a robo robo advisor. Yes. So because of what what's happening, it's now down. to... It was at like one point. I think it was around the same, like one point five five, or it was like one point six or something. And now it's at like point three six. So it went down. So I'm curious: was Marcus much higher before this crash, and now it's just only down to one point five five? And it's pretty awesome that they're at one point five five now with what's happening. Yeah. So again, yeah, Wealthfront is great for so many reasons, but it's just unfortunately not as strong as some of those larger firms, which mm. is why you're seeing that that downturn. I I know one of my clients used Betterment, same thing. Um, yeah, but same thing. Even I know someone else I work with um, used PNC, which is a bank, a well-established bank. They had the exact same experience that you did. I know Marcus was at 1.7, maybe three or so months ago. So yeah, they've been able to maintain that. I know that there is another online bank called CIT. I actually really like them for a lot of personal reasons. Um, But they're still at 1.7, which is great. They were at 2.2, maybe six months ago or so. But it really just depends on, yeah, the stability of the firm or the bank, as well as the economy. Rates are going to go up and down. And yeah, if, if you're someone seeing less than you know half a percent interest, I would say you're a great candidate for making the switch to a, a stronger high-yield savings account. And yeah, and there's, it's not difficult. It's very easy. That's really my, my best, I don't know, tip, piece of advice I can offer <laughs> as a quick hit. Cool. No, that's great. I love it. Is there any, any others that come to mind? Not that that's not good. That's a great one. I think it's one of the best ones. I just wonder if there's anything else that on top yeah. of that that people could do. Yeah. This one is a little bit time specific. You have to be just paying attention. 
So at open enrollments time, when you're able to elect your health benefits, insurance, you know, all the stuff that your work offers you, there's something out there. I believe it's probably maybe less than 10 years old. I, you know, I don't know the date off the top of my mind, but a newer investment vehicle called an HSA, it's a health savings account. And these are investment vehicles that have something that no other investment account has. They're triple untaxed. What that means is when you put money into this investment account, it goes in tax-free. So you don't pay taxes on that money out of your paycheck. The money grows within the investment tax-free. And then when you pull that money out in retirement, it's also tax-free. So it's quite literally free money. It's amazing, incredible. If you are young and healthy and don't go to the hospital or doctor's office very often, it is. it could be. Of course, I can't make broad recommendations, but it could be a great change for your workplace benefits in comparison to say the HMO or the PPO that you're used to paying for. And the difference is an HSA, a health savings account, will be coupled with a high deductible PPO. So just like the PPO that we're all familiar with, but your deductible will be more, meaning you'll be responsible for more out of pocket. However, your premium, what you pay out of your paycheck every month will be about half. It's awesome. So you have lower payments for your health insurance. Again, great if you don't ever go to the doctor. And you have this now tax-free investment vehicle that's attached to it. It's so awesome. I can tell you this, with one of my clients in 2019 open enrollment, by just switching from her PPO to an HSA with a high deductible PPO, we were able to get her an extra $2,000 every single year going forward. Wow. And so that $2,000, that goes in the savings account, right? So that is a combination of, yes, money going into savings because her employer, which many employers do, by opening that HSA, they actually contributed $600 a year, $50 a month. Um, So a lot of employers are really pushing for people to start using this vehicle. It's not very well known and it benefits the employer a little bit. So... That was $600 right off the top, free untaxed money from the employer to the client. Additionally, she's paying half of what she was previously in her PPO. So that I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it was a significant savings there. And then yes, as well as what she was able to put away in that investment vehicle tax-free, got her to that $2,000 every single year going forward. Got it. And so, the, and then the catch is you just have a very high deductible. Is that right? Correct. So, yeah, you're responsible for more out of pocket, but most of the time, again, I just can't say across the board. If you were to compare the numbers, let's say something catastrophic happened and you had to pay the maximum out of pocket, whether you had your PPO traditional or your high deductible PPO, maxing the deductible as well as in conjunction with saving that money that you're not spending on the monthly premiums, you'll still be saving money in the end with an HSA. Usually. Interesting. Well, yeah. damn. I think you convinced me. I got to look into this. <laughs> They're not bad. <laughs> I love it. Cool. No, that, that was a great one. I'm glad we... Yeah, I know that maybe not 
you know, money right away. But that's a that's a very good tip. That's a very good tip. I've never heard of anything like that. And that's why we have you on here to give here us some of those things. Yeah. That the financial planners would know. That was great. <laughs> um, no, this was this was this is interesting. I loved it. I'm sure, you know, the guys listening got uh, some real value out of it because money is important. You need money to survive. I always say, and this is not my quote, this comes from someone else. Uh, money solves problems that not having money causes. Ooh. And so I, I kind of live by that that phrase or quote just because money is is not a bad thing it's 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 good to have it and and they can do wonderful things for you if you know how to use it right so yeah. um, any other thoughts or anything you want to leave us with and also Kristen and, and we didn't talk about this before we got on the podcast but can people hire you can they work with you virtually is there you know is this can this be a way for guys to contact you to work with you or how does that how does that work yeah absolutely I would love to have a conversation with anybody who's interested. I obviously don't know anything about anybody's personal situation, so I can't say that I'm always able to help, but I'm open to having a chat, seeing what you're looking for, and figuring out if it makes sense to work together. Yes. So I gave you my email earlier. I'm happy to say it again. If that's helpful, just shoot me an email if you're interested in just chatting through anything, talking about working together, or if you're interested in learning a little bit more about what financial planning is, I'm happy to talk through any of those ideas. Sweet. Uh, just give us your email once again. And also, I'll make sure to put it in the show notes too. Sure. Yeah. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N dot Summers, S-U-M-M-E-R-S at A-M-P-F dot com. A is an apple. M is in Murphy. <laughs> what, was the, what was the next one? He is in... <laughs> Platypus. <laughs> F as in financial. <laughs> F as in financial. Uh-huh. Lovely. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I highly endorse her. I trust her. She's very smart. So yeah, email her and work with her. Kristen, thank you so much for being here and doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Trip. This was great. Hopefully I was able to help someone out today. Well, you helped me out and that's enough. Oh, good. That's all I wanted. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> all righty. 